Amen. Thank you, Ham Bells. How blessed we are to have such a talented and, and dedicated group of ringers to bless us in worship each month. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist. It's good to be with you this morning. Welcome to those worshiping with us online as well. I would encourage you, to, if you haven't already signed the attendance pads, to please find those and uh, fill them out and, and pass them along so we have a record of your presence here in worship with us this morning. The blue buckets are out in the narthex for Coins for Missions Sunday. The second Sunday of the month is always Coins for Missions. So if you have coins in your pocket or in your purse, uh, then make sure that you look for those blue buckets out in the narthex when you exit the service today and drop those in. Those go to support a number of uh, important mission projects that, that we support as a church. We come together this morning to worship our God, and so I invite you into an attitude of worship and Stand as you're able for our call to worship. Good morning. Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. Our hearts are filled with thanks, O God. We bring before you our song of praise. All rulers of the people are called to praise God. We bring before you our songs of praise. The steadfast love of God surrounds us here. We have come to see and hear and understand. Let the threshold shake with the power of God's voice. Let all the people tremble before God's glory. God's purposes endure and will be fulfilled. Our lives can be channels for God's grace. Please remain standing and join us in our opening hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, number 64 in the United Methodist Hymnal.
Thank you. You may be seated. Please join me in our opening prayer. Come, holy God, to search our minds and try our hearts. Grant us in this hour wise counsel and clear direction. Touch us, teach us, hear us, heal us. Send your spirit to walk with us as Christ walked with the disciples long ago, that your realm may become for us a present reality as well as a future hope. Grant us living water to quench our thirst and sound preaching to feed our hunger. Amen. Please join in our prayer hymn, Be Thou My Vision, number 451 in your United Methodist Hymnal. our vision this day as we gather to worship you open our eyes to your word for us open our vision to your call upon us to your vision for our lives for our community for our world what we could be what we can be but only by your grace for you are our Lord, you are ruler of all. And so we pray to you for this church. We pray to you for our community and for our country and for our world. We pray for hearts to be turned to you. We pray for minds to be enlightened by you. We pray for the will of all to be submitted to you. For your glory to reign supreme. We lift up to you those on our hearts right now who are going through struggles and are in need of a special measure of your grace and mercy right now. We lift them to you now in, in this time of silent prayer. Lord, we thank you, for we know that you have heard us. And we pray that we, in turn, would hear you, that we would listen for your voice, that we would listen and be open to your word in our lives this day and in each day to come so that all we do might bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship God through the presentation of our tithes and our offerings as the ushers wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Holy God, by the power of your Spirit, bless and multiply these gifts we bring. Use them to raise up the fallen, to comfort the distressed, to guide the confused, and to strengthen the weak. Through our gifts and the work and service we offer through them, let all who are in need know they may experience the presence and power of your spirit active on their behalf and in their lives. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. 
Today's scripture lesson is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar commanded that they bring in the vessels of gold and silver that his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the vessels of gold and silver that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the wall of the royal palace, next to the lampstand. The king was watching the hand as it wrote. Then the king's face turned pale and his thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king cried aloud to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the diviners. And the king said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around his neck and rank third in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar became greatly terrified, and his face turned purple, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. The queen said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with a spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, he was found to have enlightenment, understanding, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him the chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and diviners, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen. The writing's on the wall. Can't you read the writing on the wall? I've seen the writing on the wall. It's a common expression. Everybody pretty much has an idea of what it means. Most people, though, even if they use it, probably have no idea where the expression comes from, its biblical origin, the fact that they are quoting from the Old Testament of the Holy Bible, Daniel chapter 5. It is there in Daniel chapter 5 that a hand appeared out of nowhere and began writing words on the wall as the king 
and his harem reveled in debauchery and desecrated the sacred vessels taken from the temple of God. The king in question was Belshazzar. Up to this point in the book, Daniel has been relaying stories of the great King Nebuchadnezzar. But as I mentioned last week, chapter 4 of Daniel is his last appearance in the Old Testament. His testimony to God Most High at the end of Daniel chapter 4 was his last testament to the world. Chapter 5 begins with a new king, Belshazzar. The identity of this king long baffled interpreters of the scriptures. Outside of the book of Daniel, there's no mention of a king Belshazzar anywhere else in scripture. Daniel identifies this Belshazzar in two ways. First, he calls him the son of Nebuchadnezzar. And second, he identifies him as the last king of the Chaldeans, reigning at the time that the Medes and the Persians overtook Babylon. Well, we know from elsewhere in Scripture and from historical records that the son of Nebuchadnezzar, who took over the kingdom at the death of his father, was named Evo Merodach. And we know from history that the last king of Babylonia at the time of the Persian conquest of ba Babylon was Nabunade. Some have suggested that Belshazzar was just another name for Evo Merodach. The problem with that is that Evo Merodach died 20 years before the conquest of Babylon, so he could not be the king of Daniel chapter 5. Others have suggested that Belshazzar was another name for Nabonade. But Nabonade was not descended from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was Chaldean, while Nabonade was Babylonian. Still others have claimed this as proof that these stories in this book were just made up centuries later, since the author names a king and says things about that king that don't appear to line up with other scriptures or with historical artifacts. But not so fast. Within the last century, archaeologists have found inscriptions that talk about the son of Nabonade, referred to on the inscriptions as the firstborn son, the darling of the heart of Nabonade. This beloved son's name was, you guessed it, Belshazzar. And furthermore, there is historical evidence now indicating that Nabonade, when he was away from Babylon, as he often was for extended periods of time, left his beloved son, Belshazzar, in charge of the kingdom. Now, there has never been a historical record of how Nabonade, a Babylonian, came to power following a long line of strong Chaldean kings established by Nabopolassar, strengthened even more by his son Nebuchadnezzar, continued by his son Evomeridoc. How did Nabonade, who was not descended from that line of kings, ascend to the throne? Now, admittedly, they, this takes a bit of conjecture, but it would make perfect sense if Nabonade had married the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. That would explain how Nabonade came so easily to power, and it would make Belshazzar the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. When Daniel calls Belshazzar Nebuchadnezzar's son, that word son can also be used more generally to mean descendants. And likewise, calling Nebuchadnezzar Belshazzar's father would make sense, even if he was literally his grandfather, especially when trying to emphasize their direct connection to one another and the legitimacy of Belshazzar sitting upon Nebuchadnezzar's throne. Even though Nabonade was still alive and technically was still king, Belshazzar was acting as the king. He was sitting on the throne and taking upon himself all the perks and benefits of being king. Daniel says he was gathered with his lords, his wives, his concubines, and a thousand high-ranking officials. They were all partying, they were getting drunk, they were committing all kinds of debauchery. And caught up in all of this, Belshazzar decided it would be a blast to bring out the gold and silver cups that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from the Jew Jewish temple years before and use those cups as their party cups. And as they used those holy vessels of God, like they were nothing more than red solo cups, they worshipped the pagan gods of Babylon, mocking the one true God even more. Daniel doesn't tell us in this story what was going on outside the walls of that throne room party, but history does. And it makes what was going on inside those walls all the more shameful. Daniel probably doesn't mention it because the people at the time that he was writing already knew what was going on outside the walls of Babylon that night. What they didn't know, what, what Daniel had to tell them, what they needed to hear directly from God was what was going on inside the throne room that night. 
But we, living 2,500 years later, need to be told what was going on outside of the walls to get the full picture. Outside the walls of Babylon, the Median army, led by General Gobrias, was laying siege to the city. They had already conquered much of the country around Babylon, but the city of Babylon, with its fortified walls and its attentive guards, seemed to be impenetrable. At least that's what Belshazzar thought. While the army of the Medes was right outside the walls of the city, laying siege to it, cutting off supplies to it, threatening to overrun it, Belshazzar lay in comfort, worry-free in his throne room, getting drunk with his friends and mocking God. The Greek historian Xenophon records how the Medes were able to win such a quick and decisive victory against Babylon. The city received its water supply through ducts that ran under the city walls. General Gobrias had his soldiers dig trenches to divert the flow of water away from the city. Once the water was diverted, with the water ducts empty, Gobrias marched his soldiers through those ducts right under the city walls before the guards had any idea they were coming. In one night, the city fell. The king was killed just like Daniel reports in this chapter. But behind all of that digging and plotting, there was the sovereignty of God. For while Gabrias and his army were outside plotting and digging, Belshazzar was inside with his minions drinking and partying and, and making fools of themselves before God. You could say the writing was on the wall, and they just hadn't seen it yet. And not just as a figure of speech can you say that. That is literally what happened. A hand appeared out of nowhere and began writing words on the wall. Belshazzar saw the hand, and he saw the writing, but he, he couldn't read it. He couldn't understand it. He didn't know what it meant. Whatever it meant, it terrified him, just like Nebuchadnezzar had been terrified by dreams he didn't understand. His grandson, Belshazzar, was terrified by these words that he could not read. Of course he was terrified. How, how could he not be terrified? I told you in week two of this series how terrified I was as a kid by a dream of a giant disembodied hand that was trying to smash me. And that was just a dream. If I had seen that hand appear in real life, I think I probably would have passed out. Belshazzar needed to know what this meant. What, what, what did this writing mean? His enchanters and diviners could not tell him. Of course they couldn't. This is now the, the third time in the book of Daniel that these people proved to be completely useless in discerning the message of God. Because in order to discern the message of God, one must first be submitted to God. They were trying to do it by their own means, with their own methods. That way doesn't work with God. In order to discern the word of God, you must first be submitted to God. Daniel was submitted to God. Providentially, Daniel was still around, and providentially there was someone else still around who knew Daniel and his abilities to discern the Word of God. You'll recall that Daniel was a young man, a young adult, when Nebuchadnezzar first carried him away to Babylon. Perhaps he was in his late teens at that time. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years. The fall of Babylon took place 24 years after that, so by the time of this story, Daniel is probably at least in his mid-80s, which you either think is really old or not so bad, depending on where you're coming from. It's all relative. Daniel had not been in the room where the debauchery was going on when the hand appeared writing on the wall. Daniel had no use for what was going on in that room. He had, throughout his many years, remained faithful to God, and he would have nothing to do with such a desecration of God's vessels and the kind of pagan idolatry in which Belshazzar was reveling. There's a woman in this passage that was also not in the room at that time. Our translation calls her the queen, but the word actually translates more accurately as the queen mother. This is not Belshazzar's wife. For one thing, earlier in the chapter it says Belshazzar was partying with his wives and his concubines, but this woman was not in the room at the time. Daniel says she entered the room when she heard the commotion about the writing on the wall. Her advice in this situation shows her 
to be older and wiser than Belshazzar and his entourage. She tells about a man named Daniel, who had been a great advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, a man who had enlightenment, understanding, and wisdom like the gods. She was sure that Daniel would be able to read these words and, and interpret their meaning. The fact that this woman has such a vivid memory about the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's role in it, and that she speaks with such authority to Belshazzar, and that Daniel calls her the queen mother, suggests that this woman is probably none other than the widow of King Nebuchadnezzar, the grandmother of King Belshazzar. It's possible she's Belshazzar's mother rather than his grandmother, but Belshazzar's mother would be the wife of Nabonid, which would who was technically still king, so she would be referred to as the queen rather than the queen mother. But whether this was Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's wife or, or his daughter, you can hear her devotion to the former king and her, dis, her disappointment in Belshazzar for turning from his example. Our translation of her words in verse 11 says, King Nebuchadnezzar, your father. But in the original language, she repeated those words for emphasis. What she actually said was, King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king. In other words, don't forget where you come from. You've neglected the lesson of your ancestors. She may be an old woman from a bygone generation complaining about you kids these days, but she's right. She's right. So Belshazzar heeds her advice, and he calls Daniel into his presence. The interaction that follows between Belshazzar and Daniel shows that the special relationship that had once existed between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar is long gone, a thing of the past. Belshazzar opens the conversation by reminding Daniel of his status as a slave. You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my the king my father brought from Judah. He says this knowing that he and his entourage have just been defiling the holy vessels from the temple in Judah, offending the God of Judah, still he exerts his, his dominance over the people and the things of Judah. But he offers Daniel the same reward he had offered anyone else who could tell him the meaning of those words on the wall, a purple robe, a golden chain, and to be declared the third ruler in the kingdom. Why third ruler in the kingdom rather than second? Daniel doesn't say, but the people at the time understood what we now know as well, that Nabonade was still king, so Belshazzar himself was the second ruler in the kingdom. Third was the best he had to offer without knocking himself off the throne. Despite this wonderful offer, though, Daniel does not show the same deference or respect to Belshazzar as he had always shown to Nebuchadnezzar. His first words to Belshazzar, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. No official address, no buttering up. With Nebuchadnezzar, it had always been, O oh, king this and O oh, king that. With Belshazzar, it's, keep your stinking gifts. I don't need anything from you. Maybe age does that to you. I don't know. Maybe it was the fact that, that Daniel knew there was no hope for Belshazzar whatsoever, that God had already passed judgment on him and that his kingdom was ending that very night. When Daniel read the writing on the wall, he knew that God had already declared the displacement of Belshazzar as king and terminated the entire kingdom of Babylon. That is precisely what those words written on the wall meant. Mene is related to the Hebrew word mina, which is a large weight, but it also sounds like the Aramaic word for counted or numbered. Belshazzar's days have been numbered by God, and they are now at an end. Tekel relates to the Hebrew word shekel, a unit of money, but it also sounds like the Aramaic word for weighed. Belshazzar has been weighed on the scales of justice and has been found wanting. Parson, the last word written on the wall in verse 25, it's a plural word referring to two spheres. The singular form, paris, quoted by Daniel in verse 28, refers to one sphere equaling a half shekel. It's interpreted by Daniel to being divided. And it also looks and sounds like the name of Persia. Belshazzar's kingdom will be divided and conquered by the Medes and the Persians and handed over to the king of Persia. Before giving these interpretations, though, Daniel first gave Belshazzar 
a history lesson. He, he told him of the glorious kingdom and the unequaled power of his ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, and how this glory and this power had caused Nebuchadnezzar to grow arrogance, and how at the height of his pride, Nebuchadnezzar had been driven from human society, given the mind of an animal, and made to live among the beasts of the field. Then he recounted how Nebuchadnezzar had learned through this that the Most High God has sovereignty over the kingdoms of, the, of mortals and sets over it whomever he will. Daniel then turns to Belshazzar. You have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. According to Daniel, this story that he's telling Belshazzar should not come as news to him. He heard this story growing up. He had heard the proclamation of Nebuchadnezzar. He should have learned the lesson taught to his, by his forefather and, and heeded his praise of God. But instead, he grew prideful himself. For that, he was about to be severely In chapter 4, when Daniel interpreted the dream of the tree for Nebuchadnezzar, he advised the king to repent, to atone for his sins, so that your prosperity may be prolonged, he said. Not so with Belshazzar. There will be no prolonging of his prosperity. He should have already learned from all he had seen and all he had been taught before. He refused to learn. He had hardened his heart. The writing on the wall does not come as a warning meant to inspire change, time for repentance is up. The writing on the wall is the verdict, the sentence. Belshazzar has been found guilty of dishonoring God. The punishment will be the defeat of his nation and death. Sure enough, even as Daniel was pronouncing this word, this oracle of God, even while the words were still in his mouth to go back to last week and last chapter, Gabrias and his whole army were marching under the walls of Babylon. Before the night was out, Belshazzar and his father, Nabonid, were both killed along with all of their officials. The capital was captured. The Babylonian Empire was no more. The Medes and Persians were now in charge. God had delivered the kingdom into their hands just as the prophets of Israel had foretold. The writing was on the wall all along. Have you seen the writing on the wall? I hope not, actually. I hope that you haven't seen the writing on the wall. I hope for you the writing is not already on the wall. Because, at least in the context of this story, once the writing was on the wall, it was too late. Too late to change anything. When the hand appeared writing those words, they declared that Belshazzar's fate had already been sealed. He had been given plenty of warnings before. He, he had heard the lessons of his grandfather all of his life, but he chose to ignore them, to disregard the word that had been declared. He decided instead to live for the day to revel in excess and drink and debauchery, even as his own destruction was right on the other side of the wall. That's the thing, though. Sometimes our own destruction is right on the other side of the wall, and we ignore it. We choose to disregard the warnings and, and to live for the pleasures of the day until it's too late. Don't wait until you can see the writing on the wall to make that change, because then it's already too late. Many, many, our days are numbered. Your days are numbered. My days are numbered. Why do you want to squander them? Do you really want to wait until your last day to be weighed on the measures of justice and told that you are found wanting, that you are bound for destruction? Rather, let us heed the prayer of Psalm 90. Teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Turn now to God for wisdom. Turn now to God for knowledge 
and righteousness. Turn now to God in repentance and for living by God's counsel. Turn now to God for salvation. Now. Before the writing is on the wall. Now. Before it is too late. Our closing hymn is number 345, or 354, sorry, 354 in the hymnals, I Surrender All. I invite you to stand as you're able and let's sing together. <laughs>